Hey man, come on, aren't there some incredible life change, some stories just from people that are make up um, the people of our church, this community of faith, um, truly incredible. And those stories is a giant part um, of why we gather. It is the reason we exist. It is why Jesus died, is to make stories like that possible. And uh, I'm so glad that we're able to gather here on Easter morning. Happy Easter, Resurrection Sunday. So glad you're here. Um, Amen. Well, before we, I, I want to invite everyone that's here in the main campus worship center. Can we please welcome everyone that's watching uh, in the overflow over Elizabeth Street? Anyone in the lobby? Everyone at home? And we don't do this at the beginning of every service, but I want to start today. I want to invite every single person that's a part of service today, regardless which room you're in. Uh, could we please stand? We're going to pray. And we're not going to pray because we're in church and it's the kind of thing we're supposed to do. We're going to pray because we believe it changes things. And we believe that it shifts the atmosphere. And it invites God to move in ways that only He can move. So I want to invite everybody, whether you're here, whether you're in overflow, whether you're at home, stand, engage with us as we pray for this moment. And if it's helpful for you, if you want to, as an outward expression, if you want to sort of place your hands like you're receiving like a gift, or if you want to raise your hands as a declaration of surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that's perfectly okay. And we're going to pray, and uh, you're not listening to me pray. We're praying together as a community of faith. So come on, everybody, let's spend a moment, and let's invite God into this space right now. Let's invite God into this service regardless of room. So, Lord, we're here to meet with you. We're here, Lord, to hear about your story, about how 2,000 years ago you changed all of human history. You changed destiny. You changed eternity. You made it possible for us to have a relationship with you. So, Lord, I ask and I invite you into this room. I invite you into overflow. I invite you into the lobby. I invite you into people's homes. We welcome you and we say, Lord, we're here. And Lord, if there is anybody that is a part of this service today that's under the sound of my voice right now, that doesn't know you, that has doubts about you, that flat out does not believe you are who you say you are, who doesn't think it's worthwhile to follow you, Lord, I pray that their hearts would be wide open for the next period of time, not to hear from me, but to hear from you. Lord, I ask that the sound of my voice would fade to the background, but what you want to say what you want to communicate would hit home, would take deep root, and would change people's lives. Lord, I am under no illusion that I have the power to change anyone's life, but I know and I believe and I trust that you have the power to change lives in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe it, say amen in here today. You guys can go a seat, all areas where we're watching, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. It is wonderful that you're able to come hang out with us. Today, um, this is the one Sunday of the year where all the kids in kids' ministry are dressed better than I am. So uh, I was thinking uh, just yesterday, fun Easter memory from the Woodhouse. Uh, my oldest son, Elijah, he's nine now, but when he was about three and a half, uh, we have an oldest Elijah, and then we have a set of boy-girl twins. So when the twins were about 18 months old, it was the first Easter where Megan decided that she was going to put on uh, three Easter baskets for all of them so that Easter morning they can all go psycho and open up a bunch of chocolate. And uh, let's just say I woke up in the morning and had to use some Sherlock Holmes detective skills, but what I could figure out... The Easter morning, after Megan had put the Easter baskets on the couch, ready for uh, Easter morning for the kids, the best I could put together is that Elijah had woken up that Saturday night while everyone was asleep, walked into the living room, 
figured he was still dreaming and all his dreams had come true. Let's just say there was no candy left for anybody and he is just on the couch, chocolate coma all over his face, like you name it, it was unbelievable. I still don't think Megan has forgiven him. Uh, but the, so that's a good Easter memory from us. But um, I'm so glad that you're able to come hang out with us today. Uh, my name is Tom Wood. I'm able to serve here at the church as the executive pastor. It's a true honor and privilege to be a part of Easter service with you. And I want to get into a little portion of scripture in just a moment. And it's telling the story of three ladies um, that went to the tomb. And some of you all know the story very well. But I want to take a look at it. And the three women were Mary, the mother of James, Mary Magdalene, and Johanna, uh, Joanna. Uh, it's not Mary, the mother of Jesus, as we're reading through this, just to clear that up. Um, but these women are three people that had witnessed the crucifixion. These are three people who were there when Jesus was uh, hung on the cross. They were there, and they witnessed the horror that took place as Jesus was crucified. And so we're going to start off here uh, looking at that Friday when Jesus was killed, and this is immediately after the crucifixion. So we're going to go through some Bible. If you have a Bible with you, you're welcome to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. But starting at Luke 23, 55, as his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Now, I've read this passage a number of times, but this is the first time I ever read this detail that the women uh, saw the body in the tomb. I'd never picked up on that detail before. The reading it uh, this week was fresh as that jumped out to me, but the women saw the dead body in the tomb. Verse 56, then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. So this is the typical burial preparation custom for that time. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. Over to chapter 24, verse 1. But the very next, uh, very early on Sunday morning, the women went out to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. So this is Sunday. The previous Friday, they were at the same tomb, looking at the dead body of Jesus there. So it's a fair expectation that they came ready to see the dead body still there. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now I'm sure that as soon as they came up, ready to see the body where they had seen it just a few days earlier... They came expecting to see the same thing as they came, only to find the, tomb, uh, the stone had been rolled away. I'm sure the confusion set in. Who would have, it would have taken at least two men to have moved the stone away from the, uh, from the tomb. It weighed between one and two tons and was normally, the Romans had it set up and their engineering is, is renowned, but one of the things they did with the tombs, and this was uh, definitely relevant back then, is that the stone was rolled almost downhill to cover the tomb. So to get it out of the way meant pushing it uphill. So then the question would have come up is, who moved the stone? The only people that would have made sense would have been the disciples. But these women knew that the disciples were at home terrified and freaking out. Definitely wasn't them. So the confusion is definitely setting in. Verse 3, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. And we read later on that these are angels. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. And it's amazing that the standard response to angels is always like fear and terror. And amazingly, we think of angels, these fat babies with harps. Anyway, then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? You're looking for Jesus and you're expecting him to be dead, but he is alive. 
He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. And just like 2,000 years ago, this is the best news that has ever been said. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. And if you go back in Luke's gospel, you see that there are times when Jesus would teach the disciples about the death he was going to suffer, but it never made any sense to him. They never clicked what was going on. That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. So the women went to tend to the body of Jesus in accordance with their customs, expecting him to be still dead in the tomb, just like they had seen a few days earlier. So the women were expecting to find death, the complete opposite of life. And we just read that there was all sorts of confusion around them going to the tomb. Who moved the stone? Where did the body go? How long have the angels been here? There was a forgotten conversation where Jesus laid all this out. Just a few days earlier, they had seen the body in the tomb with their own eyes. And here they are today, where's Jesus? And now angels are declaring to them, he isn't here, he is risen from the dead. See, the women let their Friday experience shape their Sunday expectation. And who could blame them? They saw the dead body in the tomb with their own eyes. And just like all of the other disciples, they never understood when Jesus tried to teach them and tried to give them a heads up about how this is all going to go out. They never clicked about what was going to be going on here. So they went on that Sunday morning expecting death. Now this can mirror a wrong view of Jesus that we can often take on board. We can often take a view on board that when we come to Jesus, when we think about things of faith, when we think about a life of faith, when we think about church, when we think about the Bible, when we think about prayer, that it doesn't bring life, but it brings death. It doesn't bring joy. It doesn't bring fulfillment. Instead, it's a drag. Instead, it's another obligation. Instead, it's another commitment that we've got to sign up to. Unfortunately, we can take on this idea in our pursuit of Jesus and what it means to come to Jesus Sometimes we can have the expectation of these ladies that we're not going to find life, but instead we're going to find death. We're going to find something negative instead of finding something positive. That it doesn't enrich life, but it's lifeless, even death. And it's time to change an expectation that when you come to Jesus, we expect to find life. It's time to equate Jesus with life and realize that trying to find life anywhere else doesn't end well. And I wrote this down, and if you're into taking notes, I'd invite you to do so. Following Jesus means finding life. Amen. Following Jesus means finding life. And in the New Testament of the Bible, and if you have a Bible uh, you know, that has an Old Testament or New Testament, you'll see that the Old Testament takes over three quarters of the book, and that is really the history of God's people in the Old Testament that really sets the stage for Jesus coming 2,000 years ago, and it all kind of leads and builds towards him coming. And then you have four books of the New Testament that uh, really act as kind of like biographies of the life of Jesus. They tell the story, some of them tell, go into great detail about the circumstances around his birth, his life, his ministry, what he taught, and then eventually his crucifixion and resurrection. Those four books are known as the Gospels. And the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so I got this week and I had a chance to have a look online. Uh, and I did a quick search and had a quick look to see um, how many times the word life or living is mentioned in these books of the Bible. And so I saw that uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in Matthew, the word life or living, the Greek word, which is the language that uh, the New Testament was written in, the Greek word uh, zoe or zoe, in Matthew was there 13 times, in Mark was there seven, and in Luke it was there 14. 
So essentially, if you look at the length of the books, it's almost pound for pound the same. They t basically, these three people that wrote this book, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they talk about life and living pretty much about the same. But then John, the fourth gospel, he uses the word zoe or zoe 53 times. 53 times. So it's clear that for John, as he's writing his experiences of living with Jesus, watching Jesus minister, watching Jesus perform miracles, hearing him teach, hearing him preach, hearing what he had to say, learning all that he's learned, seeing the crucifixion, seeing the resurrected Lord, in all of that, one of the things that's obvious is plain as day, just by the numbers, that John wants to communicate to us is that there is life, there is living, and it is found in the resurrected Savior. It's clearly a big deal for John. And there's a number of well-known verses. I'm going to rattle off a couple of these. Now, there's 53, so I'm not going to do all of them because I know we got Easter lunch. Holla. But let me rattle off a couple of these. John 1.4, the Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. John 4, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. John 14, 6, very well-known verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And even as John begins to conclude his gospel, uh, conclude the book, he goes on and explicitly says, this is why I've written this. He says this, John 20, 30, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, talking, uh, you know, more than the book that I'm writing to tell you his life. But these are written, the reason I wrote this, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. You will have life. Now, out of the 53 that John wrote, and I just rattled off a couple there, there's one particularly I want to hunker down in uh, for today. And I think it's important that we grasp that what Jesus is talking about here. So in John 10.10, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now I'm gonna read it again, this time from a more traditional translation that many of us will know and almost know by heart, and maybe even have it on a coffee cup somewhere. John 10.10 in the New King James Version, I have come that they may have life and that they have it more abundantly. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Very well-known verse, very popular, means a lot to people. It's said often, it's repeated often. But how do we understand abundance? How do we understand abundance? As we look at this idea about what does it mean for Jesus to mean bring life, not bring death, not bring gloom, not bring constriction in a box, but instead to bring life. As we look at that and we consider that, I want to also consider how do we understand this word abundance? So the tomb, as we look back to what we read from Luke a few moments ago, represents death, represents life without Jesus, the consequences of sin, that feeling of being distant between God and us, the way that we mistreat each other, that's the tomb stuff. But Jesus defeated the grave. We sang about it powerfully today, defeated the grave so that we don't have to live in the tomb anymore. And the abundant life, that's true freedom from the tomb. That's being able to enjoy the wider world, the world outside of the tomb. That is the abundance that Jesus came to bring. I want to keep that imagery in mind as we consider, and I'm going to present to you three common barriers to abundance. 
three common barriers to abundance. Abundance barrier number one is just get me out of the tomb. As we think about what does it mean to live for Jesus and find life in him, and that it is an abundant life, one of the barriers is settling for just get me out of the tomb. Just get me out of the tomb. I've already uh, mentioned my oldest son, Elijah, the chocolate gobbler. And he said to me not long ago, uh, as a question that was on his mind, and he came to me and said, Dad, is 10 minutes a long time? And I said, well, that depends. So for instance, and it's true as I was speaking to him, and it's true for us today, 10 minutes is a long time. If I was stood up here silently for 10 minutes, that would be a long time. If I started singing for 10 minutes, you'd wish you were in jail. <laughs> if you're in a Chick-fil-A, uh, Chick-fil-A drive-thru, it's pretty good. If it's an Amazon Prime delivery, well, they finally got those drones working, didn't they? If you got to California from here in 10 minutes, something real special happened. <laughs> but the question is, 10 minutes a long time is completely subjective. It's completely subjective. It depends on what's going on around you. It depends what's happening. It depends what circumstances you're applying this 10 minutes to. And we can easily shrink that idea of abundance to what's happening in the world around us. Is 10 minutes a long time? Well, it depends. Is life in Jesus abundant? Well, it depends. Is a faulty assumption we can make. And if our focus is just getting out of the tomb, if we're satisfied with just being done with the tomb, we're not realizing and we're not living as if there is true abundance that we get to be a part of. We're minimizing it. We're shrinking it. Whatever's going on in life, whatever stress we're going through, whatever problems we're up against, whatever prayer requests we might have, whatever needs we might have, and then sort of saying, okay, I need some abundance just to get me out of this tomb. And so we shrink the abundance and the life that Jesus came to bring us, and we minimize it down to what we need him to do here and now. This is a barrier to living in the abundance, is that we're content with shrinking down the abundance and the life that Jesus came to bring us. How much life do I need? Well, it depends. How much do I need Jesus? Just enough to keep me out of the tomb. If life is good, don't need him so much. When life is falling apart, I need him a whole lot more. That thinking, very sadly, very tragically, keeps us down, keeps us thinking small things about Jesus, keeps us minimizing the life, the abundant life that he came to bring. And the significance of Jesus fluctuates based on what's happening in our life. That, my friends, is not the abundance that Jesus is promising here. It is not the abundance that he is talking about, but rather we need to raise our eyes and remember that regardless of what is going on in the world around us, regardless of what is happening in my life, your life, whatever is occupying our concerns and our worries, we are a part of a much bigger kingdom than what we can see, no matter what is happening in the world around us. I want to read a portion of scripture, Ephesians 3, verse 16. This is Paul writing about Jesus and how we're to live with a perspective towards him, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete 
with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. So here as Paul is talking about finding inner strength in him, about God's love keeping us strong, there's nothing here about just getting out of the grave. As we've just read, Paul talked very powerfully and poetically and with rich imagery about the supreme nature of Jesus, how powerful he is, how great his love is for you and for me. There's nothing in here that would say that we should shrink our expectation of living for Jesus and living with Jesus down to what we just need today to get by. Shrinking him down to what prayer requests we have. Shrinking him down to how much we feel we need him today. Not letting us, our circumstances and our situations fluctuate our commitment to him. But instead, it is saying that he is above it all. He is greater. He is more powerful. We can never understand how much he loves us. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more. And I want to read that portion of scripture again. And I want to invite you, as I'm reading this, please... Take it personally. Take it personally. And ask yourself, do I need to substitute this kind of perspective on the abundant life that Jesus has come to give me? Do I need to substitute this for the small, inwardly thinking, focused attention that I might have right now? So please, take this personally. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resource, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Come on, if that's not some good news on a Sunday morning, I don't know what is. Amen. Come on, let's not shrink down who Jesus is. Let's not minimize that he has conquered the power of sin and death once and for all, that he has established an eternal kingdom that through faith in him we are able to be a part of. Is 10 minutes a long time? Well, that depends. How great is the abundant life Jesus promised? Greater than you or I could ever ask or think. Abundance is more than just getting out of the tomb. Abundance barrier number two. I want to enjoy the tomb and the freedom. I want to enjoy the tomb and the freedom. This is trying to live a life of faith and enjoy all that the world has to offer. Ignoring or not believing that all the stuff that Jesus came to set you free from brings death. I can't overstate this. I'm being truthful to the Bible. The wages of sin is death. The consequences of sin is death. This is not a question of there's a whole bunch of naughty stuff we don't want to get caught for leads to death. I want to read a verse from James, and I'm going to give you fair warning now. James doesn't pull any punches. It is a right uppercut to the jaw. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. 
These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. My friends, I don't mind telling you that the message of Jesus will never make sense to you if you don't believe that. If you don't believe that sin is causing death in the life of people all over the world, the message of Jesus will never make sense to you. Because the message of Jesus is that you don't have to live under sin anymore. You can live in him. You can live free from the tomb. If this is something that somebody does not get, that sin leads to death, the message of Jesus, a savior that conquered sin, will never mean anything meaningful to them. The message of Jesus is message of freedom. If you don't understand you're in chains, why would you ever care about it? If you don't believe that sin is robbing you, I want you to look at the people around you, not you, because it's often difficult to look at our own lives and reflect honestly. I want you to look at the lives of people around you. I don't want you to ask yourself, they're doing a whole bunch of stuff that those churchy people don't do. Those people are doing all that stuff that I know that is against what God says. I know it's not what the Bible teaches. I know. And I invite you to ask yourself, are those people happy? Is it working? Not what's on Instagram. The next conversation, in private, behind closed doors. Does it lead to happiness? Does it lead to life? Or does it lead to the tomb? It was amazing, uh, my time in youth pastoring, working with teenagers, loved it. And I would have this conversation with them because so often if I would try to sort of talk to them about the stuff that they were up to and the stuff that they're involved in, they would get so defensive with me. But I found that just by inviting them to take their eyes off themselves and just look at the world around you and just, just look and just see how it's all working out, it's amazing the responses I would get. This isn't working out as I thought. The promise that this is gonna make me happy is not true. The idea that this is gonna to lead to life is falling flat on its face every single time. But if you don't get this, the message of Jesus will never make sense to you. Your passion for the empty tomb cannot exceed your gratitude for the cross. And gratitude for the cross comes from a deep awareness of how much you need the power of sin in your life to be defeated once and for all. And once you hear the message of Jesus and you hear that there's a savior that conquered the power of sin in your life and my life, then that brings about a passion for the empty tomb, amen? Everyone feeling okay? I'm not gonna lie, it's a little uncomfortable in here right now. If anything I've said has given you the impression that I'm positioning myself as a perfect person that doesn't need the grace of God, I humbly apologize. I need the grace of God. I need the forgiveness of God. Not just because of what I did when, before I was a Christian, but what I was doing probably about 20 minutes ago. Desperately need the forgiveness of God. Desperately need the grace of God. But the promise of Jesus is that you can have it in abundance. The lie of the devil is the stuff that's keeping you away from him is worth it. Your passion for the empty tomb cannot exceed your gratitude from the cross. I'm gonna move on. Abundance barrier number three. As long as my tomb is better than yours. As long as my tomb is better than yours. This is a religious mentality. This is a religious view of the life that Jesus came to give. And as Christians, we're very quick to say, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. 
very quick to say that, we shriek at the word religion. Christians don't like it when people put the label of religious on us. And a lot of this comes from the way that Jesus would have interactions with the religious people in the New Testament. But let me go ahead. I want to rattle off. This is some, just to sort of frame this out and just to give some things for you to think about, some, some uh, boundaries, if you will, about the difference between religion and relationship. Religion obeys out of fear. Relationship naturally obeys because of love. Religion celebrates behaving yourself. Relationship celebrates a transformed heart and mind. Religion needs to understand and have predictability. Relationship is confident in the mystery and trusts Jesus in the uncertain. Religion needs to feel safe and comfortable. Relationship knows that comfort and safety come from trusting God. Religion gets confidence from the rules. Relationship gets confidence from making wise choices. Religion gains knowledge to be better. Relationship grows in knowledge to grow in faith. Religion by default is selfish. Religion by default causes us to elevate our own performance above the love that God has shown us, despite our complete helplessness. It causes us to look at our own goodness and our own self-worth and our own ability to gain God's forgiveness. Religion is angry, judgmental, and off-putting, the very opposite of Jesus. And if you know the story of Jesus, you'll know that he had more trouble with the religious people than anybody else, which is why it's so upsetting to see his followers become bitter, angry, mean, instead of living in the abundant life. And the religion, that mindset, that attitude, it thrives on comparison. Comparison is the fuel to religion. And so often we'll settle for a life of being able to smugly say, at least I'm not as bad as that. At least I didn't do that. At least I'm better than them. At least my tomb is better than theirs. And we'll settle for that instead of the abundance that Jesus came to give. Matthew 23, 27, this is Jesus giving some smackdown to the religious leaders that would go on to plot his crucifixion. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. So that's what Jesus thinks about the whole thing. For you are like whitewashed tombs. You are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Religion not only keeps you from the abundant life, but it keeps you stuck in the tomb normally without you even realizing it. Beautiful on the outside, but dead on the inside. There's three barriers, the ones that we looked at. The first is that that attitude towards life, that we need Jesus to just fix us up and get me out of the tomb, it shrinks that abundant life, that it shrinks our expectation. We just, as we look to have God just fill in the gaps that we've identified in the life instead of lifting us up into abundance. But God helps us be part of something much bigger than ourselves. That attitude of being half in the tomb and half in the freedom, God promises to clean up your heart and get involved in your life and renew your mind so that you can run from sin with joy and with your eyes wide open. That we don't have to be stuck and locked into religion 
Believing that it is God's grace, it is his ability to break us free. That's where our hope is, not on our ability to behave ourselves, not on our ability to do the right thing and worry about the tightrope, but instead confidence that he paid the price. He made it possible for us to get the forgiveness of God. As I was thinking more about this idea of uh, life, um, the Greek words of life that uh, I looked up in John's gospel, I shared with you a little earlier. It's not unusual for me as I'm uh, preparing for a message on the weekend to email my dad. Uh, my dad is, uh, he's still back in the UK, and he was a pastor. He probably started right around the time that Noah was finishing the ark. And he's retired now, so he's got time on his hands, so I like to put him to work. And so I'll just send him these questions, and it's amazing what he sends back. Um, my, my dad, he'll be probably pretty embarrassed that I would say this, but he really is a true expert on New Testament Greek. And so if ever I sort of put to him a question, he always comes back with some absolute gold. So I emailed him this week as I was getting ready for today. And I just said, you know, Dad, I'm going to be talking about the life that Jesus came to bring and share with him that I was going to talk about the abundance. And I just said, you know, do you have anything interesting about, you know, the Zoe or the Zoe uh, Greek language that might be helpful for me to share? And I just copied and pasted what he wrote into my notes. So I'm just going to share with you something from an email my dad sent to me this week. Zoe is the term for life that is used by Jesus to talk about the alternative to what the kingdom of the world would call life. It is life that is eternal. Colossians 1.13 describes how the world's life has to be abandoned, died to, how we need to become dead to sin, and how we have to be born again, by which we receive another life. As Jesus says, we have to be born again in order to enter into new life. The life that we have received is life for serving the Lord in his kingdom. Without that life in abundance, we are hindered in our ability to serve and be engaged in bringing the kingdom into world life. Jesus taught us to pray that God's kingdom and will would be seen and done on earth as it is in heaven. John the Baptist declared in John 3 that Jesus was full of Zoe and through that life was able to see heaven. Because of this, Jesus said and did on earth what he had seen and heard in heaven. Zoe is what we receive abundantly to enable us to live like Jesus in his kingdom. Zoe is the replacement for the world's and sin's life. Zoe is received by being born again. Zoe life is resurrection life. What raised Jesus from the dead and gave him all honor. If Eden is a foreshadow of the kingdom, then the death and resurrection has reopened the garden kingdom to all people. You will recall at the end of the garden was the tree of life, Zoe. Through Christ, we can now enter the kingdom and journey to eat of the tree, eternal life. Zoe is the life that I must live to testify to the life of Jesus and his kingdom. It is not I, but Christ who lives in me. Zoe is the air of the kingdom, which I must breathe through the spirit if I am to live in the kingdom and serve its king. Come on, let's hear it for my dad. But you know, as my dad wrote that, I feel it's important to share with you that it's not just theory. What my dad wrote down, and my dad's a good writer and he's somewhat of an intellectual. Again, he'd be embarrassed that I would say that. But it's not just theoretical that my dad's putting down here. Just today in service, we watched a video and there were five people that shared their story that led to them being baptized. These are real people. These are people that are sharing their, their story about a life that has been transformed because what God has done 
Just last weekend, I heard an incredible story that happened in this room that there was somebody that was here and one of our prayer team members had the boldness to go and say, hey, I wanna pray for you. And this person said, I've been missing this my whole life. I wanna get right with God. I wanna give my life to God. And the prayer team member helped that person find life in Jesus and get saved right here in this room just last week. That's worth applauding. Come on, somebody. And here at the church, we also have a Christian school that we're able to have, um, you know, that, that is here five days a week. And the stories that come from these kids that are finding hope, that are finding peace as they come and be a part of this school is unbelievable. We get to hear these all the time. I was talking to Pastor Jeremiah. He's the youth pastor here at the church and a little while ago about the joy that it brings when you're a youth pastor and there's a student that you see have life transformation happen and then on a Sunday you come to church and their parents who don't know Jesus decide to come to church simply because they've seen God do a miracle in their teenager. This crazy kid has had a life turned around and now I want to come and see for myself what is this God thing really all about. That's incredible. That's a real story. As a church, we, uh, we financially support Convoy of Hope. According to their website, they have served 163 million people through their feeding program. Just this last week, I was looking at uh, Dave Ramsey. Many of you will know. He's somebody that um, helps teach financial stewardship to people. And the amount of people that have gone through his classes, I have no idea. It's in the millions right now. On his website this week, they published and they promoted on their social media. They have calculated that over half a billion dollars worth of debt has been paid because people have gone and taken his advice and his classes. Come on, that is abundant. That is not small, shrunken down. This is real life stories of people finding God and people getting involved. And as a pastor here at the church, I get to hear some of the intimate details of people's life. Some things that you wouldn't wanna share with everybody and I'm not gonna start sharing everybody's details right now, but I can tell you that in this room right now, there are people whose marriages have got to the very end, hanging on by the thinnest of thread, but God got involved, some abundant life got involved, and now their marriage is healthier than ever. In this room right now are people that were lost in drug addiction for years, but God got involved, abundant life got involved, and now they are clean, thriving, and doing well. There are business people in this room right now whose hearts come alive when they're able to financially fund missionaries overseas. There are people in this room right now that have gone through incredible tragedy, but they found strength and abundant life to walk through day by day in the face of grief. These are real stories, everybody, of real people. And all stories start somewhere. All stories start somewhere. And God, if you're interested in what the character of God, characteristics, what makes him amazing, is that he is the great initiator. He starts stories in people's lives. He starts stories of abundant living in people's lives. John 6, 44. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And on the last day, I will raise them up. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. It is God that is pulling people in. And Jesus echoes this same thought a number of chapters later. Chapter 12, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. It is God that initiates this life change story. It is God that initiates this abundant life. It is God that draws people in. 
drawing people in, pulling people close to himself, extending an invitation to come on, come and heal your relationship with God. Trust me, put your faith in me, and I can bring a life that is beyond what you can know. There's a number of different ways that Jesus, as he was resurrected, would do this, drawing people in, pulling people close, extending an invitation to come to know him. Mary, one of the Marys that we read about earlier, Jesus just gently said her name, Mary. And she knew the resurrected Lord. She'd seen that he had come back to life, that he had conquered death. There was a group of disciples that had just gathered together eating, and when they least expect it, Jesus turns up and changes everything. For Thomas, he had a bunch of doubts. He didn't believe this Jesus thing. He didn't believe the whole rising from the dead thing. And Jesus came and addressed his doubts directly. On the road to Emmaus, there's two people that were talking about the life and death of Jesus. And on a seven-mile walk, there's a conversation, a gradual conversation that ends in these people understanding who Jesus is. And Paul, the apostle, was literally knocked off his horse. And no matter how God may be moving in your life right now, whether it's that gentle name of him just calling your name, don't ignore that. Whether just like the disciples, when you least expect it, Jesus turned up, don't ignore it. Whether it's like Thomas and you've got all kinds of doubts and all kinds of questions about faith and what you think about it all, maybe Jesus is coming and he's directly speaking to you and he's addressing those doubts head on. Maybe like those two people on the road to Emmaus, you've been having a gradual conversation with God and you're now at the point of saying, I believe. Or maybe, like Paul, you've been knocked off your horse. All I would say is don't ignore the draw. And I can tell you that for preachers, it's always nice when it rhymes. Don't ignore the draw. If this is you, we're going to pray in just a few minutes. And my hope is that if God is drawing you right now, if God is moving in your heart, it may come alive here, but the temptation you're going to face is to also let it die here to forget what God has done, to forget that God drew you in, to forget that God extended an invitation to you. I got three quick tips. If God's moving in your heart right now, if God is drawing you in, three things that I think can help you make sure that this is truly a life-changing thing, that you truly can engage with this abundant life that God has promised, rather than you just having one moment at that church, that one Easter. First thing is, today, tell somebody. Doesn't have to be weird, doesn't have to be out of the ordinary. Just say, hey, I went to that church, something happened. I, I wanna know more about this thing. I'm ready to think about this. I wanna figure out what one foot in front of the other, living a life of faith looks like. Today, tell somebody. And tomorrow, read the Bible. Read the Bible. We've talked a lot today about the Gospel of John. My best advice for you today, and one of the guys on the baptism video said this, read one chapter a day. It'll take about five or 10 minutes. It's 21 chapters, which means in three weeks, you will have read the whole chapter of John, and you can even try and point out the 53 times he talks about life and living. One chapter a day, five, 10 minutes. If you have a Bible, dig in. If you don't have a Bible, my friends at the info desk, we have copies we would love to give you as a gift on this Easter morning. If you have a smartphone, the Bible app has had over 400 million views. Why not make it 400 and million and one? Those of you at Elizabeth Street, we have Bibles there for you too. Tomorrow, read the Bible. And next week, come back to church. Come on, somebody. And when I say come back to church, please, don't just attend. 
Don't just take up a spot. Get to know, make sure somebody knows your name. Make sure you have community here. If you're gone for a few weeks, somebody should miss you. Don't just take it, don't just be, don't just take a spot. Like come be a part of the family of faith. Come be a part of the community. And as we rethink all this and as we think further about those women, the empty tomb that they came upon, the confusion that they felt, they were expecting death. You may be expecting death as you come closer to Jesus. My friends, I promise you won't find death, you'll find life. You'll find abundant life. And you'll find that it is more than just getting out of the tomb. You'll find that it is not worth living a life where it's half in the tomb and half in the freedom, but you'll wanna go all in. You'll wanna be done with sin with eyes wide open. You'll with joy wanna run from whatever it is that's been holding you back. That you're not gonna be satisfied with being self-righteous and religious and comparing yourself with everyone else. And as long as you feel better than everyone else, considering that that's all the life that Jesus has, but no, you're gonna want every single bit of it. You're gonna want a story that screams the abundance of God in your life with joy taking your place in the eternal kingdom as someone that has been set free from the tomb. Amen. Well, I got a couple of questions for you. Okay, if one person claps, we all have to. Alrighty, I got two questions for you. And hopefully this week you'll have a chance to think about this, reflect on this. Ask yourself, what lies have you believed about the abundant life? Maybe it was that as long as I get out of the tomb, that's good enough. Maybe it's that it's worth being half in, half out. Maybe it's that being religious is the whole goal of this whole thing. I don't know, but ask yourself and pray, what lies have you believed about the abundant life? And the second thing, what are you going to do with God's invitation? It's God, it's Jesus that draws people close that draws people in, extends an invitation for you. What are you gonna do with God's invitation? And I mentioned that there were three barriers to the abundant life. There's a fourth. The fourth is, in my estimation, the worst one. And that's believing that it's all good in the empty tomb. That staying in the tomb is all good. Staying in the place where there's death, distance from God, separated from him, dysfunction, that it's all good. Believe in the lie that it's worth staying here instead of living in the abundant life that Jesus had. And I don't know your story and you may be somebody that I've never had a chance to meet before so I have no idea what's happened in your life to get you to the point where you're here, online, overflow, in the room. No idea what's got you to the point where you've joined us this morning, this Easter. But maybe, maybe you can understand and you clicked as I was talking about the different ways that Jesus might be calling us home. Maybe that one simple, gentle word that got Mary's attention, just saying her name, you got that. And you can click with, yeah, I feel Jesus is just calling my name. May not be able to explain it, might not be able to put words to it, but yeah, I, I get what that means. Maybe just like the disciples, they weren't expecting Jesus to turn up. And maybe you weren't expecting this morning to be anything significant for you. But right now you'd say, yeah, something happened. Jesus turned up and I can't pretend he didn't. Maybe just like Thomas, having his doubts addressed. Maybe you've had a doubt or a question or an uncertainty addressed directly today. 
Maybe like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, a seven-mile walk where it's been an ongoing conversation. Maybe you've had an ongoing conversation. You've come to the end of the road today where you're ready to say, yes, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Or maybe like Paul the apostle, you've literally been knocked off a horse and you can't turn back and you can't pretend anymore that you don't believe the message of Jesus. I want to invite everyone here to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I promise, I give you my word, I'm not going to do anything that's going to make you uncomfortable or anything weird or anything strange or anything you'll regret. But I want to give you a chance to respond. If you'd say, yeah, you know what? That's me. That's me. I want you to be able to raise your hand and I want to be able to know that you're the person I'm praying for when we pray in just a moment. I want to invite everyone, overflow. Please, join with us. Bow your heads, close your eyes. And if this is you today, if you know that God's drawing you in and you want to start figuring out what a life of faith is, I want to invite you to put your hand up just so I know who we're praying for in just a moment. In here, amen. Anybody else? Anybody else saying, I'm ready to start living a life following Jesus today? Amen. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Those of you watching online at home, you can click the button that says, I raise my hand and you'll let the host know that you're there. Anybody else today? Promise I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you're ready and you're ready to say, I want to follow Jesus today, just raise your hand just so I know who we're praying for. Amen. Amen. Well, come on, word of life, can we please celebrate people finding God in here today. We're going to pray a prayer together, and the words are going to be on the screen. I invite every person in here to pray this along. I'm going to say a line, and then I invite you to pray it back to me, and I want everyone to join this. And if you uh, raised your hand a moment ago, or even if you didn't, but you wanted to, I want you to pray this full of faith that there is power to change your life when you pray a prayer like this and you mean it. So come on, everybody. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, remember, if that was for you today, tell somebody today, read a Bible, John chapter one, tomorrow, and be in church next week, amen? Amen, well those of you in overflow, Pastor Megan's gonna be there to help you figure out what the next step might be. For those of us online and in the room, Pastor Jeremiah and Stacy gonna help you figure out what's next. Thanks, man.